Today I'm joined by former Major League closer Matt Caps. As a current broadcaster for the Pittsburgh Pirates with more than 130 saves in the big leagues, Matt talks about his experience as a multi-sport athlete growing up and how he went from almost quitting baseball to the big leagues in less than a year's time. Matt, good to see you, brother. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for taking the time. It's going to be fun. Um, I know we crossed paths in Atlanta, so that's where I want to start with you. You're an Atlanta area kid, right? Born and raised? I am. Grew up in Douglasville. Uh, moved around, obviously, playing for as long as I did. I've, I've called a lot of different areas home, but uh, home base is now in Roswell, just a little north of Atlanta. Sure. And you, uh, you played multiple sports growing up, right? I did. I did. And I preached that. I've got a little program back home. Uh, we've got 11 teams and uh, we kind of set it up in the fall, fall baseball, uh, where nothing is mandatory because fall is football season. Uh, and then nothing is mandatory in the wintertime uh, because wintertime is basketball season. We have practice abilities and we have training facilities that you can have access to as part of our program. But uh, I, I preach in football, focus on football. Baseball secondary in wintertime, focus on basketball or wrestling or whatever else it is you're into and doing, and, and baseball is secondary. But with that being said, come spring and summertime, baseball is a priority, and, and we expect uh, to be the priority, our program. Um, but, yeah, my, myself, um, I played baseball, basketball, and football growing up. Played one year of soccer. Uh, there's too much running in soccer. <laughs> For, for a guy of my body type, um, soccer didn't fit. I, I ended up being the goalie after, I think, the second or third practice, something like right. that. Uh, my best friend growing up was a really, really good soccer player, actually one of the top soccer players in the state of Georgia. And uh, I wanted to do it just to be around Will. His name was Will North. Um, and then he played baseball with me, kind of same thing. He wasn't that much into baseball, but he's like, ah, go go play on Matt's team and, and hang out with him. And then That's cool. As I got older, my parents had a rule for my brother and myself. Um, <clears throat> you either had to be actively playing a sport or you had to go get a job. So uh, my brother ran track and went to work, and I lettered in four sports in high school because I wasn't ready to go make money. <laughs> <laughs> so what um, – I'll go back to your – before we get back to your, your sort of – your childhood. Tell me a little bit more about this program because I'm I'm similar. I think we've talked about this in the past. Similarly, um, a big advocate of of kids playing multiple sports. What kind of response have you gotten? Uh, it's one thing. I grew up in New England, right? So it's one thing to say, you know, you're going to play different sports because you don't have the option to play baseball year round in Boston, right? right? right. Um, but in 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 Atlanta, you do. Uh, so what's the what's the response been like for for that program? It's been really good. Um, it started It started two years ago. So my son is 11 now. Um, and I kind of fell back in love with baseball with him. When, when my career ended, I was a little bitter about how it ended and um, got hurt, shoulder injury, ended, ended my playing days. Uh, and then he started playing at six and I was kind of watching. And then at seven years old, he really started to kind of take a liking to it. And I, I fell back in love with the sport, watching him fall in love with the sport. And then I started coaching at, at eight, uh, at nine, was an all-star at the park. Um, and then at 10, the parents kind of wanted to do this travel thing. So we found a program we hooked on to, had a great experience. That program was called the Georgia Bombers. Uh, those guys were great to us. But after the 10 new season, we wanted to keep our team together and uh, understood we kind of had to go through the process, the tryouts. And we were technically the third team 
Uh, so the top two teams would be able to pick from our roster, and I couldn't guarantee my parents that we would all stay together. So uh, I went to the city that I live in, uh, Roswell, and, and talked to them about kind of a travel program. I had three teams that uh, wanted to come with us. Um, it would be my son's upcoming 11 team, uh, my business partner's son's upcoming 12U team, and then my neighbor's upcoming 13U team. And we were going to kind of build it organically that way. Uh, the city, in hindsight, I've kind of discovered that there were some people on the Parks and Rec board um, and maybe even city council that uh, had started laying the groundwork and, and were recruiting me a little bit to kind of do something like this. So their Parks and Rec program really dropped off dramatically after 10U, and they were losing a lot of really good players uh, from 11U and up. They were going to travel programs outside of their town, our town, and um they wanted to try and build a program uh, to keep kids in Roswell. So uh, it was kind of the perfect storm for me. Um, they did require us to do a tryout. We're using city fields for practice and games and stuff like that, using some city resources. So um, <clears throat> that's taxpayer dollars. Uh, so it's got to be a benefit to the taxpayer. So we had to open it up. We've got some rules and guidelines that we have to fall within uh, from the city with roster construction. But uh the biggest thing was they said you had to do a tryout. So uh, you may not believe this, but we actually published four days before our tryout last year uh, that we were starting a new program. Uh, and in age groups 11 to 14, so just four age groups of teams, uh, we had 360 kids show up wow. with, with four days of notice. Wow. Uh, so it was um, it was an absolute scramble on my end. It was um, it was a zoo, if I'm being honest. Uh, I'm not a very organized person. Uh, my entire life, I've been told where to be, what what to wear, uh, and and what the objective was when I got there. So me trying to put it together was was really interesting. Um, frustrated a lot of parents, a lot of coaches, but uh, but we got through it. We just finished our our first season. Um, a handful of our teams are played last weekend, and and I think some of our older teams play again this weekend, and then they're done. Um, our 11U team was done Father's Day weekend, so we we got two tournaments in in the fall, and we played 10 tournaments this spring. Uh, we finished right around 500, which um, a lot of people may may kind of roll their eyes back when I say that's our goal. Our goal is to finish about 500 at this age group, uh, really all the way up through high school. Our goal is to play 500 baseball, um, and my thought process there is there's levels in travel baseball. Uh, a double A triple A majors level is how they classify them. And um, unless we're in majors beating the brakes off everybody, we're not challenging the kids enough. Um, so if we're in triple A and, and we're, you know, we go uh, four and one in a tournament, the next tournament we may go to majors and see how we compete. Um, vice versa. If we're in, in, majors and we're just not losing any game we're playing non-competitively we're going to drop down to triple a or double a um so that we don't demoralize the kids we want to give them an opportunity to win but uh, we also want to challenge them we want them to know that um, no matter what they think of themselves uh there's always somebody out there somebody else out there that is probably better uh, and is willing to work harder and, and we want to push these kids so that's our goal we finished 
Um, I think we were one game under 500, so we finished right around that 500 mark, uh, which I was happy with. Uh, and I talked about it a little bit before, kind of making football the priority in the in the fall. So one thing we did last fall that I thought was really cool, as a startup organization, we didn't have any culture. Uh, so we were trying to develop that. So we took a big high school size field in the fall, which is way too big for all of our age groups, 11 to 14. And we all practiced together every Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Um, and what that did was that allowed the kids that had football on Tuesdays and Thursdays, they could only come on Wednesday. Uh, they could come once a week. And in three weeks time, they would get all three practice plans. Um, they would get to experience all three pra practice plans. So on Tuesday, what we did, let's say this week and next week will be different. And the next week will be different. Uh, Tuesday this week, we would do pitchers and catchers. Uh, so you work on the skill sets of pitching and catching. And if you're not a catcher, um, you don't have to participate in the blocking and the throwing down to second base and stuff like that. But we believe in everybody pitching. I don't like the, the term PO pitchers only, um, 11 to really 16 or really even through high school. I think everybody should learn the pitching skill. So pitchers would, would work on the fundamentals or mechanics of the throw. Uh, they would also work on things like PFPs or pitchers fielding practice. We're learning how to cover first base, the footwork around first base, how to stay in fair territory, um, how to cover home plate. Uh, that's something I didn't learn until pro ball, um, how to properly cover home plate and protect myself. I can't just go in like a uh, out of control, uh, get my foot beside the plate, my knee not in protect in, in a good spot where if a guy slides in from third base, slides into the side of my knee, I'm hurt. I've got to learn that footwork, how to position my body, and, my, and it starts from the ground up. Uh, communication as a pitcher. Uh, once the ball comes out of my hand, I become a fielder. Uh, so we went through all that stuff. It wasn't just, just throwing bullpens and then going your way. And then on Wednesday this week, we would do infield and hitting. So we'd have an, we'd have an hour and a half. We're going to take as many ground balls as we can get. Uh, we're going to learn footwork around second base. We're going to learn how to cover bunt plays, run bunt plays, and stuff like that, which I only believe in one bunt play. Everything comes off of it. But uh, we did all sorts of infield stuff, and then half the group would be in the cage, and then we would flip. So you're getting your swings in. And then Thursday would be outfield. Uh, so we did fly balls. We worked on cutoffs and relays, uh, getting the ball into the cutoff guy, throwing to the bags, second base, third base, uh, home plate. Uh, things like that and the other half would be hitting and then we would switch and then next week those days would just push up right so start next week tuesday would be infield and hitting wednesday outfield thursday pitching uh, and then the next week it would cycle up one more time so it went really well and we had uh we had all the kids together we had 11 to 14 together uh this year we're going to do it a little bit differently we found some problems with that age gap, the physical maturity level from a, of an 11 year old compared to a 14 year old is pretty big. Mm -hmm. So we struggled with that at times. Uh, but the thought process behind putting them all together was getting back to that culture in the organization that we were trying to develop. That's um, right. An 11 year old looks up to a 14 year old. They listen to 14 year olds better than they listen to adults that are out there a lot of times. Um, and then I've learned so much more about the game of baseball from trying to coach it and teach it than I ever did playing. Isn't that amazing? So it's incredible. So we really, 
really and truly tried to encourage the older kids to take the younger kids under their wing, mentor them, you know, do things like getting the glove out in front of you. And, and as they try to explain it to the younger kids, our hope was, oh my gosh, okay, this is why coach is all on me about this or that. And, and it kind of clicks and, and we saw it happen some. So I, I think for the most part, it worked really well. Um, just that, that age gap was tough. So I think this year we're going to do two years. So we'll have, we're adding a nine and 10 age group this year. So we'll have the nine and tens work out together. The 11s and 12s work out together. The 13s and 14s work out together. And we're also moving up into 15U. So the 15U will kind of be on their own. Uh, so that's, cool. that's our, that's our hope for and plan, I guess. Uh, for that's this great. Year. How is the, uh, you know, I know football's, a big deal, right? In in Georgia, when you get, at least when you get to the high school level, but even at the youth level, like what's the, has there been pushback from other, either from parents or from kids or from coaches or what have you with other sports that are, you're, you're pushing them to play other sports, but what's the, what's the response been with the non-baseball athletes or the, the multi-sport athletes, I should say, not non-baseball. It, it's, it's been good. It's been good. So um, in the parents meeting uh, with, with myself and, and with other coaches, I, I mean, you're hearing it from the horse's mouth. I encourage yeah. it. Uh, in the in the fall time, we're going to play Sunday only tournaments. Uh, there's not football games and workouts on Sunday, so if you can be when, when your team needs you to compete and we need numbers, uh, yeah, we we need you there. Um, you're paying for it. Um, <clears throat> your team needs you, I guess, which is the most most important part. Mm-hmm. So come on Sundays and compete. If you haven't been to a practice all fall, that is fine. We're only playing two, maybe three uh, Sunday-only tournaments in the fall. So you're talking about a commitment in the fall of, of two to three days that you really need to be there. Uh, still not saying have to be there. Um, I understand 13 and 14, more so than the 11s and 12s, kids are, are starting to go through maturity. They're, they're hitting that stage in life where – uh, they're going to be sore. Um, don't want to put them in a position where uh, they're playing sore and then a you know soreness turns into an injury. Uh, so uncomfortable becomes pain and, and it actually it, it, we're hurt now. Yep. Uh, so we do ask for that communication in the fall. Um, but it's been very well received. Uh, parents seem to like it. Kids seem to like it. Um, and then you know, from my standpoint, I learned a lot of things on a football field that helped me on the, on the pitching mound. I learned no doubt. a yeah. lot of movements physically on a basketball court, uh, how to think fast and react. And then, you know, I mentioned I lettered in four sports in high school. I also ran one year cross country and, um, the mental toughness that I learned running cross country is just me in my head in, in the middle of the woods. And I'm supposed to run for 90 minutes. <laughs> yeah. That, <laughs> That mental toughness that I learned in cross country has helped me in so many areas uh, of my life. Yeah, yeah, that's that's uh, yeah. You're preaching to the choir on that. Uh, you grew up in the middle of it. Did you play? You you play uh, like travel? Did you play at East Cobb? I did. I played one year for James Beavers and the East Cobb Yankees. Okay. Um, I played. I played American Legion ball. Yeah, uh, same here. It was basically my high school team. Uh, okay the core of my high school team uh, played post 145. We played American Legion baseball. And then um, I made a high school all-star team after my junior year. Uh, and I played with some of the better high school um, 
players in the whole state of Georgia. And I actually got hurt that summer. I broke my foot uh, and missed my senior year of football. But in the back half of, of summer baseball, I was supposed to play for East Cobb that summer. Um, got hurt, missed it. Um, I also was, was invited to come try out in Joplin for Team USA after the, the Team Georgia stuff, but I missed all that. Yep. Uh, so I played my, my senior uh, senior year of baseball. So I broke my foot, got out of a cast. A couple of days later, I had surgery on a hernia, so I missed basketball my senior year also. Um, but I did play my senior season of baseball, and then I went and played for, for James Beavers and he's got Yankees. Yeah, so that, I mean, that in particular has, you know, East Cobb specifically, right? It used to be, I guess it was never small, but it used to be a little bit more select, right? It used to be a yeah. little bit uh, leaner, and now it's a huge operation, right? And that's that. That's where I wrestle with it as a, you know, somebody who used to make a living evaluating talent, but also as a as a father, right? Like the the diversity of skills you get, the different experiences you get. Um, it's even different being a teammate, right? Like it's different being a football teammate than it is being a baseball teammate. There's just Absolutely. different requirements of you, and so this push to, um, you know, this push to specialize early, you know, that's why I love to hear what you guys are doing. I remember, uh, when I, when I first started scouting, I was scouting in the Atlanta area and, uh, it was the year Jason Hayward got drafted out of your neck of the woods. Right. And so went and scouted Jason and Jason looked roughly like he does now when he was, you know, 17 years old. And, uh, at least his senior year, he may have played other sports earlier. He was baseball only right now. You know, he was going to be a high round pick and, probably some some risk mitigation involved there i imagine but i just couldn't help i'm like man can you imagine being like the high school football coach and seeing that kid walk the halls and be like come on man you can't come play tight end or linebacker for me right you know so it's this it's this is the balance right where um you know you i think you have to that's why like i said i'm glad you guys are pushing that because i think that needs to be pushed because there's a lot of pressure from the other end no matter what the sport a basketball, you know, football year round, spring games, all this stuff. Like there's pressure on these kids at an early age to like, all right, pick a sport and specialize. Otherwise you can't do it. You know? And look, you, you played four sports growing up. You played American Legion baseball. You pitched in the big leagues for a while, right? Like you you can do it. You can do it both ways. Yeah, you, you absolutely can. And, you know, I understand both, both conversations, um, you know, try and specialize and, and, Sometimes, honestly, those things are out of your hands. You know, you, you mentioned Jason Hayward uh, and and his <clears throat> physicality <clears throat> that, you know, the good Lord gave him. It just blessed. Um, they, there's guys on the flip side of it that, that you look at. They can play pretty good baseball. They can play shortstop. They can play second base. They can run and get it in the outfield. And you look at them compared to the other kids, and you're going to get hurt on a football field or, mm-hmm. you know, a basketball court. You know, you you look at guys on a, on TV playing basketball and they look small and they're six four. You know, uh-huh. it's cool. everybody else around them seven foot. Well, they look yeah. tiny. You know, but they're they're six four and they can move and they can jump and they can run and things like that. So you you look at the physicality of of what you have, or the physical attributes of, of what you have. I I do understand uh, some of those kids that want to specialize and, and mom and dad maybe. Um, don't want them on a football field because they're afraid of them getting hurt. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I do understand that, but I, my experience, my story, it's what I know. Uh, it's intimate to me. Um, and I know for certain 
you know, like you said, how to be a teammate because of football, uh, basketball, uh, the mental toughness from running cross country. Uh, a lot of things that I learned in other sports uh, just really helped me as a as a major league baseball player. You know, the cross country people might, might look, listen to this or hear me talk. Go, this guy's crazy. He's out of his mind. But when I'm in the middle of the woods and I've got a task of, of running, whatever it is, 75 or 90 minutes, that's your, your training day for the, for the day. It's just you. Um, when you're on a major league baseball field and you're on the pitcher's mound and things are going crazy, a lot of times it's just you. It's too loud to hear your third baseman or to hear your first baseman or to hear your catcher. It's just you and your thoughts, you know, and how are you going to process that? How are you going to handle that? And to, to kind of have that training, if you will, at 15, 16 years old, I, I have zero doubts that helped me. No, that's great. I, I think the you don't hear cross country mentioned a lot. You know, you hear track and some of the, maybe the ex, more explosive track and field type events, but you know, cross country, long distance running. I think that's a great analogy, uh, especially as a pitcher, right? Because you've got if you're a starter, you're going once every five days. And you get a lot of downtime by yourself, yeah. you know. And so yeah. being disciplined and being able to figure that out. Um, you know, I've never run cross country, but I've done some some sort of longer distance. Um, you know, walks or marches or runs or whatever. And it is, it's like you, you hit that. Everybody talks about that runner's high. You got to break through it. I've never gotten, I've never broken through that wall, I guess. Cause I hate running. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's just a different, it's a different requirement on your body and your mind. And um, I want to talk about that a little bit as it, as it relates to your, your pro career, right? So you get into pro ball uh, as a starter and struggled, right? Couldn't get out of a ball for, for a couple of years. And the unique thing about, about your path was that like a lot of guys sort of can't succeed as a starter or for whatever reason, it doesn't click for them. They get shifted to the bullpen. All of a sudden they flourish. That's a, there's a million guys like that, but yours was so fast, right? You shifted the bullpen, at least on paper. I'm sure it may have felt differently, but you went from a couple years in a ball and then you shifted to the pen and you touched, I think three levels in the minors and got to the big leagues in September in one year. Is that right? That's right. Yep. So that, that sped up on you quick once you went to bullpen. It, it, it did. And, you know, I think um, a lot of a lot of guys going from starters to relievers is really uh, based upon the stuff, the repertoire they have. Um, when you look at my career and uh, what I was able to do on the mound, I, I only had a career because I could command my fastball. That's it. Uh, my, I learned a slider in the big leagues. I, when I first got to the big leagues in September, um, I threw a, a curveball. I, I didn't throw a slider. Um, and then you'll appreciate this being in the game. Um, <laughs> after my first couple of weeks in the big leagues, uh, that September, they asked me to go to instructional league. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I, I, I went to instructional league. Um, I'm, I'm grateful I did because I honestly don't know that I would have made the team. And I, I'll give the full story and explain that if I hadn't gone to instructs. So let me back up. It was, um, I got drafted in 2002, uh, went to rookie ball and I signed late. Um, <clears throat> so I only had like, I think six weeks of the season left and, and they put me in the bullpen cause they didn't have time to really build me up. And sure. I, I wasn't, honestly, I wasn't built up in high school. Um, I was a catcher. I was going to LSU to catch. Um, I threw, I really came onto the scene as a pitcher, that high school all-star, uh, tournament or team that I made, I, I referenced earlier, 
Uh, Brian McCann was on that team. Jeff Francoeur was on that team. Um, I hit cleanup on that team. And Mac and I split uh, the catching duties. So when I would catch, he would play left field. And then when he would catch, I would play left field. Uh, and I was in left field one night. Uh, Brandon Moss, another big leaguer, was also mm-hmm. on that team. Brandon Moss was one of our better pitchers. He was actually our number two pitcher behind a guy named Fidel Pinkston. Um, and we were beating – I always tell the story it was Team Canada, but I'm not 100% sure it was Team Canada that we were beating. We were beating somebody really badly. Um, and we had Team California in the championship series the next night. So uh, Stuart Chester, uh, who's now the head coach at Buford High School, who was at Cartersville at the time, was the head coach, uh, or he might have been the assistant, him and Coach McDonald, who had been at Wheeler, uh, both of them Georgia Hall of Fame coaches, high school Hall of Fame coaches. Uh, I was in the dugout getting ready to hit, and I heard them talking about pitching, uh, and they didn't want to go to Fredell, they didn't want to go to Brandon, uh, having the Team Can- Team California games the next night. And I said, you know what, I can throw. I mean, I came in and threw in high- from a high school team, but I was – Honestly, I was our third, maybe fourth pitcher on my high school team. Um, I was catching. And they kind of looked at me and was like, all right, you got it. I mean, we're up by 10. So mm-hmm. I guess in their mind, it was like, all right, you know, if things hit the fan, then and we have to go to one of the other guys, we can. Right. So I came in to throw the last two innings and uh, was 96 to 97 on the mound. And, and back then, <laughs> there were a bunch of scouts – in the stands, as you can imagine, you got the high school all-star teams from all the states in the country. Right, so down. you were bumping, you were bumping ninety-seven, but you were three or four in your high school rotation. So what I would do in high school, I mean, we had some guys. Seven of the nine starters my senior year played after high school. Okay. So we 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 had some good players. Okay. Uh, kid named Case and Britt, lefty. Uh, his dad uh, pitched in pro ball for a long time. West Britt. Um, I mean, Case. <laughs> Kaysen was awesome. He got hurt our sophomore year, and, and velocity never came back, kind of like how my career ended. But he did end up pitching his junior and senior year, and he could just command the baseball so well, had a really good changeup, and he was left-handed in high school. Uh, so he was good. He went on to college and pitched for a couple of years. Uh, so you were just a thrower. You would come in and just throw heat when they needed you to. That, that's all I did. That's got all it. I did. All right. Um, I had, like, what you would call a slurve. Like, I basically threw it like a football, and it would – in high school, it was real big and loopy, and like, yeah, you know, yeah. when you're when you're throwing hard in high school, and then you throw a big loopy thing, like guys don't hit it. Yep. So um, <clears throat> after that tournament, kind of everything on the pro side was you're going to pitch, because it was you know 20 years ago we didn't uh, you didn't have as many right. guys that throw that hard. Yeah, right. Um, and they really didn't think that you could train guys to throw hard like we've learned in the last few years that you can. Um, so I got drafted as a pitcher. Um, honestly, I hated pitching. I hated everything about pitching. Every time I pitched, my arm would hurt. I would get sore. I just didn't like it. And I loved to hit and I loved, uh, just kind of the, the dirt bag mentality of, uh, of catching the rough. Was there any, when you got drafted as a pitcher, was there any thought to not signing because you, you liked hitting so much or you're Uh, like, this is pro ball. I gotta go. No, there, there was. So I was going to LSU. I uh, knew I was going to have a great experience in college playing in a program like that. Mm-hmm. Um, even looked at, it was still in the draft and follow was a, a possibility. Looked at yep. uh, going to Chipola. Yep. Um, 
had uh, went down and visited coach Johnson at Chipola was awesome. Um, but my, my family situation, my dad had his second heart attack on my 17th birthday, uh, and he was self-employed. Uh, so I, I knew from a, a family perspective, if I went to college, it was going to be extremely tough, even with mm-hmm. the scholarship on my parents. Um, and I just came to the realization at the end of the day, I'm going to college to play baseball. Um, so let's go. So I get drafted in 02. They send me to, to rookie ball and they put me in the bullpen. I gave up one run in 13 innings. Had a, had a great introduction year to, to pro ball. We worked on things like holding, things I'd never done, holding runners yep. up, being quick to the plate. I mean, I was like a 1-7 to home plate. <laughs> so... Uh, Things like that. Uh, I really learned the mechanics that I, I pitched in my career. I learned as a, as a professional baseball player. Miguel Bonilla was my first pitching coach in rookie ball. He's a guy I still keep in touch with. I credit him and Ray Searage probably more than any other pitching coaches I had in pro ball uh, for the successes I had. So the next year, 2003, I go to spring training. They keep me in extended. They keep me in rookie ball, and I'm starting. Um, had a great year as a starter. I uh, made the the Florida the uh, Gulf Coast League All Star team, um, and then in August they send me to High A to make a spot start. Uh, Dave Clark's my manager, uh, so it's kind of my first introduction into real baseball. You know, rookie ball you're playing at twelve o'clock. There's seven people at the games, and five of them are related to somebody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I go to Lynchburg, uh, make a spot start. I throw well. I go back to Bradenton, uh, rookie ball, finish out that, that the playoffs there. Uh, did not pitch well in the playoffs uh, against the Braves, actually. Jared Saltalamacchia hit a pitch that still hasn't landed. Um, we end up losing to the Braves in the Gulf Coast League Championship, and then they send me back to Lynchburg to help the Lynchburg team in the playoffs. And I'm pitching out of the bullpen through the playoffs and was actually supposed to start game five. Uh, the playoffs, and we ended up losing game four. Uh, pitched, pitched well there, uh, and then go to Instructs, come to spring training in 04. They named me the opening day starter in low A in Hickory. Uh, and I didn't make it out of the second inning on opening night, and that's kind of how the season went in 04. Send me down to Williamsport. Uh, that's where I was first introduced to Ray Searage. Uh, so Williamsport was short season. And my year started to get a little bit better, um, but it just never never turned around. So um, was was going to retire after the 04 season. Uh, and it was January, and I was talking to my dad. Um, I had some opportunities to play college football, uh, Division One opportunities to play college football. So I was going to go to a small school, um, play a year, and see if I could transfer out. I was 21 years old. Um, and my dad talked me out of it. He said, look, Matt, it's, it's January. You can't enroll until the fall semester anyway. So go to spring training, go play. You know, if you, if you can't make it in baseball, like you'll, you'll know by the summer, then you enroll somewhere and, and see what happens on the football side. So, so you know what? That makes sense. So I went to spring training, um, was pitching fairly well in spring training. They called me in the last day of spring training. And I'm, I remember walking down the hallway to see Brian Graham and Jeff Bannister. Graham was our farm director. Bannister was our field coordinator. And I, I thought they were going to release me. This, this is it. You know, I'm going to drive home today and, you know, we'll, we'll start the football thing. 
and they sent me down and they said, Hey, we're moving you to the bullpen. Um, and I don't know if it was fluff at the time. Um, knowing what I know now, I, I think this, <clears throat> they were being honest. Um, but they said, when we drafted you, we saw you more as a bullpen guy anyway, but you had so much success that first year as a starter, we were going to see how far you could go. I said, okay. Uh, so I go back to Hickory in the bullpen. Um, and it was the first series we were in Greensboro. What was uh, your, where was your head at when that, when you had that conversation, did you want to be a starter? Did you care? Um, I, I did, I did want to be a starter and you know, things have changed a little bit, but back then when they moved you from a starter to the bullpen, it was kind of your first foot out the door. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's kind of like, all right, the writing's on the wall. Um, I'm a, I'm an organizational guy now. I'm a fill-in guy. Um, so that was kind of the mindset. I get to Hickory and, um, it was the first series <clears throat> we were in Greensboro and the guy that was closing for us le legitimately threw a hundred, no idea where it was going. So he pitched bad in one game. And then the next time he came in to pitch, uh, he loaded the bases and no outs were up by one or two. I don't remember exactly, but it was a safe situation. Still, they bring me in no outs bases loaded. And uh, I get a strikeout, a pop out, and a strikeout uh, to end the end the ball game. And then I started closing for the Hickory team. Uh, year kind of took off. Uh, had a great year uh, as a closer in Hickory. Guys were starting to move to Lynchburg in June, July. I was kind of sitting. I, I still kind of thought like, all right, I was right. I'm I'm now I'm an organizational guy. Um, and then the last day of July. Um, Jeff Branson is my manager. Uh, Brano and, and Ray called me into the, the office. We're in Charleston, West Virginia. And they were they were messing with me, um, making me feel like I'd gotten in trouble, which wasn't uncommon at that stage of my life. Um, and they sit me down and literally racking my brain, like, what did I what did I do? I didn't I didn't do anything dumb the last couple of <laughs> couple of weeks. <laughs> and uh they tell me I'm going to Altoona, which is double A. So I'm skipping over Lynchburg. Uh, so excited, ride the bus back to Hickory with the team. And I'm flying out the next morning to Erie, Pennsylvania. I don't pitch the first night. The second night in Erie, uh, I come in and pitch the sixth, seventh, eighth inning. I don't remember. Um, but it was a day game in Erie. And I remember getting, throwing my last warm up pitch, catcher throws it down. And Jose Bautista is my third baseman. So Joey Batts comes over, and I, I had known Jose a little bit uh, from instructs and other things in the lower levels. Uh, Jose comes over, and he flips me the baseball, and he goes, hey, they only swing, swing one bat up here, too. <laughs> and it kind of, I don't know if he could tell I was nervous or on edge. Um, it kind of gave me a piece. It's like, yeah, all right, I can do this. Mm -hmm. So I, I had a clean inning, and then that night, the guy that had been closing uh, hurt his elbow. So we get back to Altoona. Jeff Andrews, the pitching coach, comes up to me and he goes, hey, you're our closer now. You're going to close for us. Uh, so be ready in the ninth inning. So from August 2nd until the end of the playoffs um, in early September in AA, I was closing and, and pitching really well in Altoona. Uh, and this is kind of doing the right thing, being in the right place at the right time and performing kind of comes into play here. Um, we're driving back from Akron. We just lost in the playoffs and, uh, Tony Beasley, 
was our manager, and he had gone up and down the bus kind of telling a handful of guys that they were going to AAA uh, to help the AAA team kind of be extra bodies for the playoffs there. And one of the guys that he had asked to go, his wife had had a baby about a month earlier, uh, so he wanted to go home. So it opened up an opportunity for another body. So it's 2.30 in the morning. We're in the Altoona clubhouse packing our stuff up. And I'm, I'm staying with a host family. So my host family's there waiting on me to go out the door. And Beasley taps me on the shoulder and says, hey, there's one more spot in AAA. If uh, they want another body, will you go? <laughs> Absolutely, I'll go. You know, <laughs> I, got, I got nothing waiting for me at home. I you know, had a great year. Uh, let me go. And, and candidly, all I was thinking is like, all right, that's – I'm making how much in double A? Because a month, <laughs> month ago I was making nine hundred and fifty. Right. I've made now twelve hundred dollars a month, and triple uh-huh. A. I might make another twelve hundred dollars. Like I'm going to retire. Right, <laughs> yeah. right. Um, so he goes, okay, keep your phone on you. Um, and the next morning, Brian Graham calls me. Uh, Brian's our farm director again. And he says, hey, we want we want another arm in AAA. Will you go? And I said, of course. Uh, and he gives me the I, – I figured I've already had him change your flight. So flight was leaving like 20 minutes after my original flight was supposed to fly to Atlanta. He goes, you're flying to Toledo. Meet the team. Today's an off day. Game one of the series, championship series, is tomorrow. So I get to the hotel, and it, it's a lot nicer hotel than what I'm used to staying at. <laughs> Still not a big league hotel, but it's a lot nicer than what I'm used to staying at. And I see a, a, the handful of guys that I know are sitting kind of in the hotel bar area. And then Trent Jewett, the manager, is sitting down there too. And, and that was like a big no-no. If you walk into a place and the manager's there and it's not the ballpark, you turn around and leave. Mm-hmm. So I was real uncomfortable. Um, but they were having their pitchers and catchers meeting. So Trent calls me over, sits me down. Um we go over like the lineup uh, for the Toledo Mud Hens that we're, we're facing in the series. And the only name I remember is Donnie Kelly. Um, we've talked about how to face guys, how to pitch guys. So get into game one. Uh, Brian Bullington starts. He struggles. I come in, I believe, in the third inning. And I, I finish the third inning. I throw a clean fourth inning, throw a clean fifth inning. Um, we lo- We lose. Uh, game two, we lose, and then we go back to Indianapolis. Off day in between, go back to Indianapolis. And Mike Conley pitches game three, and he's throwing well. We have like an hour and a half rain delay. Um, so Conley doesn't go back out. I think it was the second inning I came in. I pitched the second inning and then a clean third inning, and then they brought somebody else in. Uh, we ended up losing that game late, if memory serves me. Uh, so it's best of five series. So the series is over, go into the clubhouse, everybody's kind of somber, and I walk into the food room in Indianapolis, and I see Outback has been catered. And I'm like, this is amazing. (laughs) There's there's a big steak, there's an Alice Springs chicken, there's a salad, there's breadsticks, there's all that stuff. And I'm like, this is is incredible. You know, and it's it's 2 o'clock in the morning because of the big rain delay. Yep. So a lot of guys are sitting there. I get a plate. I sit down. And about the time I'm ready to cut into, into some food, Trent Jewett, the manager, walks in and he's shaking everybody's hand and telling guys, you know, great season. Uh, love having you play for me. 
whatever he's saying. He walks by, walks by me, shakes my hand. He goes, Hey, thanks for coming up and helping. Really appreciate your contribution. Um, and then he walks out. So I sit back down and again, right at about the time I have my knife and my fork, he comes around the corner again and like makes eye contact with me and gives me, waves me over. So I walk out the door and he's standing with his back to this cinder block wall, white cinder block wall in the clubhouse. And he sticks his hand out, shakes my hand, and goes, congratulations, you're going to the big leagues. And walks off. <laughs> and, and, and they're looking at this wall like, what? And then I turn and look, and, and as he's walking off, Brian Graham and Jeff Bannister are walking to us, and they both have these huge smiles on their face. They hug me, congratulate me. Um, and they're like, your flight's tomorrow morning. So, okay. So I go get my, I never go back in the food room. No, oh, you didn't finish the steak. <laughs> no, I didn't even start. <laughs> so I go into the clubhouse and I get my phone and I go down to the dugout. And as I'm starting to dial my dad's number, like I'm getting emotional. And I, I consciously thought like, it's three o'clock in the morning back home. Um, so I called my brother who was, 16 at the time. Uh, I was a high school sophomore or junior. I called him and uh, he wakes up and he's like, Hey, great game. We listened to it on the radio. Um, you know, you coming home tomorrow? And I said, No, I'm going to go to Pittsburgh. And he goes, Oh, okay. You're going to go hang out with Zach. So Zach Duke had already gotten to the big leagues and uh, Duke and I were really, really close. He's the best man in his wedding. Um, and I said, No, I'm going to go pitch. <laughs> he's he's like oh, okay all right what <laughs> you know and i said hey i can't get through this talking to dad you got to go wake up mom and dad and tell them so he goes into their room and um uh -uh. as you can imagine a mother yeah, yeah, yeah. her 16 year old son at three o'clock in the morning with her with his phone to the ear and wakes wakes her up she starts screaming like you what's what's happened what's wrong what's going uh -huh. on uh -huh. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Wake up, Dad. Uh, so it was pretty cool. I got to listen to him tell them that I was going to the big. Oh, uh, that's amazing. <laughs> so it was, that was a fun moment for me. And then um, the day got crazy. The next day, I was supposed to get on a, a flight in the morning. Uh, Hensley Mullins, Bam Bam, was our yeah. Coach. Yeah. Uh, Hensley and I were on the same flight. The other guys that were going from Indianapolis to Pittsburgh drove. Um, they drove that night or the next morning, I guess. Uh, so our flight gets canceled. So they get us on another flight. We get on that plane. There's engine trouble. They bring a mechanic out. They're working on all this stuff. Um, long story short, we land in Pittsburgh at like 620, something like that. Seven o'clock game. We get in a cab. Neither one of us have our bags. <laughs> we get in a cab. We come to the ballpark and, uh, Bam Bam's like, I don't have my ID. We can't get in the stadium. Doesn't have his Pirates ID. And I'd never been to spring training, so I didn't have an ID. Didn't have any of that stuff. Uh, so he calls uh, Brian Manitti. So Brian Manitti's a front office guy, assistant GM. He comes down, meets us. And, and Brian and I had a little bit of a history. So he was an intern when I was in rookie ball. Um, and it was it's kind of a cool story. He drove the van that picked me up from the airport the first day I, I was a yeah. professional player. Uh, so it's yep. like, he's nervous. I'm nervous. We kind of <laughs> struck, struck up this nervous energy conversation. And, and anytime I'd see him, we would interact. So he gives me a hug, congratulates me. It's like, this is awesome, that whole stuff. 
they walk us, he walks Hensley and I down to the, to the clubhouse. I get in there and I, like I said, our, our bags were on the flight that got canceled. So we didn't have our, any of our equipment stuff, our luggage, nothing. So I get there. Fortunately, I'd had one of my gloves in my backpack. Um, so I had my own glove. I'm wearing Brian Bullington's cleats. Um, I'd never been in the big league, so they didn't know like pant sizes or any of that stuff. It's a hodgepodge of, of things that I've got going out there. Brand new hat. Like, so I walk out into the dugout in the top of the fifth inning. Zach Duke's pitching. Um, you know, and he would kind of zero in on his start days. So I, I didn't call him. As, he had no idea what was coming up. After mm-hmm. he last out in the fifth inning, he comes over to the dugout. I, I fist bump him, and he just kind of looks at me and like, like shock. <laughs> uh, so I didn't have time to talk. I go out to the bullpen. So I, I get to the bullpen in the bottom of the fifth inning, and I pitch the top of the seventh inning. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> so it's like it happens so fast. Um, Probably the I best thing that could have happened. No time to think about anything. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I had pitched the night before. I had thrown an inning plus the night before. So um, Chris DeNorfia, the, the first pitch I throw in the big leagues, Chris DeNorfia hits a ball 300 exit velocity right by. <laughs> Boom. So, okay, well, here we are. Welcome to the big leagues. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, uh, that was my got called to the big league story. And then I ended up pitching four or five times that September. Um, Gave up a gave up a run uh, in that first that first game, uh, and then at the end of the season, we're in LA, and Pete McCannon was our intern manager. They had fired Lloyd McClendon before I got there. Uh, Pete and Dave Littlefield was our general manager. They called me into the suite at the hotel in LA, uh, and it, they they called my room at nine o'clock in the morning, and. Um, I was accustomed to sleep until 11. Right, <laughs> that stage right. of my life and night games. Right. And, you know, they, uh, I answer the phone and I'm like, try to try to spruce up real fast, yeah. like take a 30 yeah. second shower and run up to the suite and, and go meet them. And they sit me down. They're like, Hey, great year. Um, we're going to send you back to double a next year. Uh, we really want you to get really good at being a reliever first year as a bullpen guy. Uh, so we're going to send you to instructs. We really want you to work on a slider get rid of the bigger curveball. Uh, I said, okay. So I go to Instructs. The Pirates hired Jim Tracy as their manager um, not long after the season ended. So I'm in Instructs, and I'm throwing throwing a 1,000 sliders a day, it feels like. Uh, and I'm running on the warning track one day after I throw, and Jim Tracy had been hired. He comes down to Bradenton, and he's checking things out. And he's walking down the pathway, and – I know who he is. Um, <clears throat> he kind of lowers his sunglasses, looks down at me, whistles, waves me over. And he said, what's your name, son? And I tell him, and he goes, didn't I see you pitch in L.A. against us in September? I said, yes, sir. He goes, I thought so. Um, hard throwing righty. I said, yes, sir. He goes, what are you doing here? <laughs> and I said, well, they wanted me to come down and work on my slider. He goes, and you came? Well, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> you know, it's, I didn't say that. I think I said, yes, sir. Yeah. He goes, well, what'd they tell you for next year? And I said, well, they told me I was going to start in double A. Uh, last year was my first year as a reliever. Uh, and he, he, again, lowers his sunglasses. He goes, you show up ready to go. 
I said, yes, sir. He goes, no, no, you hear me? You show up ready to go. I said, yes, sir. And then he kind of lifts his sunglasses up and goes on. So uh, small world coincidence. A guy named Ted Wood had played for Jim Tracy and uh, in, in, I think the Giants or maybe the Dodgers minor leagues. I think it was the Giants uh, when Tracy was managing there. And uh, Ted Wood's dad was a volunteer assistant on my high school team, Ed Wood. Uh, so Ted had taken me to a Braves game, play the Dodgers, and I had met Jim Tracy. Uh, I was a sophomore or junior in high school. Um, <clears throat> But uh, small world coincidence, I guess. And then, so I, I never really shut it down after the 05 season. I took a couple of weeks off, and then I was still in bullpens by Christmas. Uh, by the time I got spring training, I was, I was <laughs> mid-season form, it felt like. So I threw, uh, I had a great spring training. They, they bring me down to Fort Myers, Paul Mahalam starting. He's supposed to go six innings, um, getting stretched out. And in the fourth inning, the bullpen phone rings and said, like, get caps going. So I started throwing. It was at the old stadium in Fort Myers, the Red Sox old place. You can't mm-hmm. see they're warming up. Uh, Jimmy Lett says, all right, you're going in. So I, I go in. Uh, and honestly, I'm running across the outfield grass thinking, man, I hope Paul's okay. I know he's supposed to go you know, nine pitches or whatever, and there's no way he's thrown that. Like, I hope he's not hurt. Um, I get to the mound, Tracy's got the ball, Humberto Cota is my catcher, and uh, Tracy just says, all right, you got two outs, go get them, hands me the baseball, and, and Cota's like, what do you want to do here? And I was like, I, I have no idea who, <laughs> who's up, and uh, he looks at me, and he goes, Manny Ramirez. <laughs> I said, okay, uh, I guess let's let's get ahead early, let's attack him. Um, so I did. I, I ended up striking out Manny Ramirez, and I think that was that was what they wanted to see out of me that I wouldn't back down. Yeah, that's amazing. From a guy like from a guy like him, and that's what that's what got me on the team uh, in '06. So in a, in, a, in a year's time, you go from screw this, I'm gonna go play football, I'm done, yeah. to yeah, I'm striking out Manny Ramirez, and I'm gonna I just started my big league career basically. Yep. That's yeah, right. com- combo of. Uh, you know, probably some good counsel from your dad in addition to, you know, the talent, the work ethic and like right place, right time and opportunity. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good story. It uh, it was my life. So, you know, I certainly enjoyed it. Uh, Yeah. But had a lot of fun. Very fortunate to be in the situations I was in and um, try to try to take advantage of it as best I could. Yeah, I was gonna before we started talking about I was like, I wanted to hear about that struggle we touched on it from starter to reliever some guys to your point it's like out i don't want to be i'm a, I'm a starter I'm, i don't want to talk about it right but it seemed like for you things happened so fast it was like all right we're gonna put you in the pen and then it was like boom 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 you're touching multiple levels you're in big leagues in september and then you're striking out many or mirror like even even your big league debut right you show up with four different guys equipment on and then an hour later you're in the game right the, the, who knows had you had more time to kind of process stuff maybe you get in your head a little bit more and it doesn't unfold the way it did but uh it's just it's amazing man sometimes it's just just take whatever's whatever opportunity is laid out in front of you and just make the most of it yeah absolutely and i think the bullpen fits my personality better um i don't sit 
you know, my wife will tell you, unless I'm tired and taking a nap, I, I don't really sit very well. Uh, I like to be busy. I like to have things to do. Uh, and as a starter, you know, you've got four days, you sit there, it's just you and your thoughts. And, mm-hmm. you know, I would second guess myself and then put more pressure on myself than need be. And, you know, in the bullpen, the phone rings and eight minutes later, you're in the game. Yeah. Uh, and and then, if you bomb, you might be in the game the next night too. Yeah, that's right. right. You don't sit, what you don't have the opportunity to sit and dwell on it as much. Um, and then, you know, going back and looking at stuff again, I, I had a good fastball and I could command my fastball. Um, I ended up developing a decent little slider, but even at the end of my career, my slider, my slider was nothing to call home about. It was something else for guys to see, uh, maybe bad contact. And you probably count on two hands, the number of changeups I threw in, in an entire year. Um, had a change up, had it in my back pocket, and I showed it when I was warming up, so they had to think about it. But uh, mm-hmm. I didn't compete with it a whole lot. So really it's amazing just, how uh, you know I've always been a huge proponent of it. But just hey, you get a fastball and, and you command it. It's amazing how far you can get with just that, right? I mean, it's, right. we talk about spin rate, we talk about all the secondary stuff and this plus plus stuff, and it's like it's great. And they're they're all weapons, but. You got to pick one, command the fastball really well. It's it's a pretty good uh, calling card. Yeah, hitting's hard, and hitters will tell you that. You know, a well located fastball is still the best pitch in baseball. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, uh, how long have you been on the broadcasting side? Now you're doing TV and and radio for the Pirates. Yeah, so this is my let's see. I was supposed to start in 2020. Obviously, the COVID bubble uh, that didn't happen. So I guess 21. This is my third year. Okay. Uh, in the booth, I, I did a little bit of pre and post game work uh, in 2019, and uh, that's what I'm doing this week. Actually, I'm in, I'm in the pre and post uh, studio, so I'm not in the booth this week. Um, but just finished in the booth in Miami. I had a four game series down there with the Pirates. So, so you've uh, got uh, you know a, 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 a well established successful major league career as a closer. <clears throat> Excuse me. So you are. You may not sit a lot, but you had to sit in the bullpen. You were forced to sit, right, and watch seven, eight innings. So you've watched a lot of baseball in your career. Uh, What's the perspective like now where you're sitting back and you're removed from it? Has it it evolved or changed for you how you watch the game now? Yeah, uh, most of what I watch is on TV, obviously. Uh, Even in the booth, you're in person. uh, But we have to to speak to what the viewer sees, so I, I look a lot in the monitor. Um, the hardest part is, is just remembering how hard the game is, you know, on, on TV, it looks easy. It it really, uh, and, and knowing what I know about it, it it looks easy. I'm removed from it. I don't have to worry about the other things. So it's like, just do this. Well, it's it's easier said than done. Uh, and I, I always try to remember that. I think I've done a good job so far, um, on, on this side of the game of remembering how hard throwing a baseball is and how hard hitting a baseball is. Um, but I enjoy it. I, there, there's something, there's just something romantic about baseball that I don't feel with other sports. I watch football, watch a lot of football. Uh, I don't watch a whole lot of basketball. I watch March Madness uh, when that comes on uh, the college game. But um, there's just something romantic about baseball. It doesn't matter who's playing uh, college world series or a random Thursday night college game that's on TV. Um, I can sit and watch a baseball game. I can sit and watch 10-year-olds play uh, and get enjoyment <clears throat> out of it. But um, 
it's kind of the strategy behind it that I love. Um, I try to think along with the manager, what, what the manager's thinking, what they're trying to do. Uh, and, and it's funny how many, how many times I, I reminisce back on my career. Oh, that's why they did that. Or, that's <laughs> why did that, or, or whatnot that you see from a different perspective when you're not in the fire. Um, I don't know. What's what's one thing what? that stands out to you as a because uh, relievers in particular, right? They're like the, you know, it's almost like they're the offensive lineman of a of a major league roster. Where like you come in, you do your job, especially as a middle reliever, right? You're like, oh, congratulations, you had a clean sixth inning. Nobody really cares, right? You're like, well, yeah. actually, the game hinged on that, and if I blew it there, you'd be hearing my name left and right the next day in the papers. So uh, your point about sort of keeping in mind that appreciation and respect for how hard it is to do what they do. Right. And there are there spots where you, you see a reliever come in and you just kind of have that hair stand up in the back of your neck. Like, man, I've been in this spot. This is, it doesn't feel like a tough spot to everybody else, but this is a tough spot for this guy right here. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's a little different now that, you, that relievers have to face a minimum of, of three hitters, but uh, how many times, you know, years ago, would you see a lefty come in to face one lefty? Um, and to your point, the whole game hinged on what they do in that one particular outing. They walk them, the game turns around. They blue pit, you know, or, or big hit, home run, whatever the game, uh, the result of the game can turn. Uh, but I, I still get emotional in close, closing situations. Um, I saw it in Miami the other day. Um, when when the Marlins guys come in, AJ Puck came in, and it's like the whole everything is kind of turned into a show. You know, yeah. down the lights are flashing, yeah, 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 and all that. It, it's kind of more of a, a show, and it's cool. I'm here for it. I dig it. If I'm being honest, but um, yeah, the hair on the back of my neck stands up. Like golly, just that feeling, that rush <laughs> of of coming out of the bullpen, and you know, the one thing I don't like about today's game is is um, if I was a, a closer, uh, in today's game coming in and then having to stop behind second base for the umpire to check my glove and check my belt and check my hat, you know, like it kind of, yeah. the up and the up and down of it, yep. you know, it's like, ah, it's kind of a bummer. Yep. Like I want to, I want to break through that gate and here Charge we go. Out there. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. Um, but that, that emotional rush of coming in in the ninth inning when, when you're up by three runs or less and all eyes on you. And even though I'm going to do my job and nobody's going to talk about it, like you've got that, your team's depending on you. Yeah. You're the, you're the last, last line of defense. Mm-hmm. Feeling. Yeah. You bring up an extreme point about the, you know, the glove check and the, the belt check and all that. It's like, there's, I feel like baseball is a, they have their struggles from like a marketing standpoint, trying to capture the younger audience right now. Cause it's, you know, it might be a show when the closer comes in or maybe on uh, you know, opening day with the flyovers, but there's a lot of downtime, right. In baseball. And even with the new rules, that's just inherent to the game. You love it. You can sit there and watch a game and enjoy it. So can I, um, but it's a challenge for, for like the hyper stimulated um, world that, that we're living in. But there's, so if you can't, I feel like baseball is a game where you can't necessarily appreciate all the minutia, unless you've experienced it, you don't necessarily have to have played in the big leagues to experience it, but to sure. understand kind of what's going on. Uh, and the, the, 
the amount of or, or, or the iterations of like momentum that happen within a game or within an inning or within a bat, right? That you can't necessarily appreciate. I mean, the the glove check and the belt check are sort of akin to like the opposing team calling timeout when you're when you're just pumping strike right. after strike, right? And, and and they're trying to break your momentum. So there's all that challenge is more of the mental side of the game where I feel like sometimes relievers can struggle with this because they are more often, more often than not wired to just go, right? They're going to come in, they're going to get three outs, whatever it is. Starters maybe can pace themselves both physically and mentally a little bit better or are more conditioned to do so. So when you're like, you're at an 11 and you're just going and then they're like, all right, time out. And you just got to stand there. Right. right. No, just think and look around for 30 seconds and then you got to turn it back on. That's some people can do that really easily. That's hard for some folks to do, to be able to like, okay, re-engage them right back in. What was it? Uh, clear the mechanism from, uh, yep. Yep. uh for the love of the game. Love yeah. that. Yep. And you know what? I was just telling somebody the other day that like, there's some truth to that. When, yeah. when you are on the mound, I, I know I said earlier, like it can be, it can be loud, so loud where you can't hear the third baseman, you can't hear your catcher. But when you're in that, clear the mechanism moment, that zone, if you want to call it, there can be 50,000 people screaming and yelling and chanting. And I can turn and look at my third baseman 80 feet away from me. And I can hear everything he's telling me clear as day. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it's, it's weird how it works. And, and yeah. I guess you have to experience it to really understand it. But uh, <laughs> it's a great feeling too. When, when you know you're in that zone and things just work and you don't have to think, um, I had a mental skills coach tell me one time, like it's called channel surfing. You know, when, when you're in the zone, you can bounce around from the channels of your brain and how you operate. Um, it's it, just trying to find that every yeah. time you take the mound is, is the challenge. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's what uh, I was talking to somebody the other day about that. And I said, the difference between me and the guys that do it professionally are the guys that do it professionally just do it a little bit better every single time. Right. It's the consistency piece that, that, that makes a professional, right. And being able to fail and bounce back. There's a lot of other things that go into that, but yeah, the, the talent is obviously elite, but it's the con- being able to be elite Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Right. That's, that's a big challenge. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's always been fun for me. Even seeing kids in the minor leagues, you can, if you're close enough to it, you know, if you're sitting behind the plate or you're seeing the clubhouse before or after a game, you see those kids that can do it, that, that can lock in. And it doesn't even necessarily need to be in the heat of the moment. It can be during a timeout. They got a pinch hitter coming up or somebody has an injury and they're talking. You just see it in their eyes. They're locked in. They're, they're stalling. They're like diffusing the energy for 30 seconds while they have to. But then as soon as it comes back on, you just see them. They're focused and, and they're, they're out there. They're professional. Other guys struggle with that, right? You can see them looking around. Who's in the stands? Who's yeah. on deck? What's going on? Is, you know, is, is there somebody warming up in the bullpen? And you're like, these guys aren't. They're not wired for success because you're you're playing scared at that point. You're yeah. worried about everything else other than what you can control versus the guy to the point where, all right, everything is in my control until I let that ball go, right? So those guys tend to be, uh, you know, it doesn't always work. You got to have the talent to back it up, but you know that's that's a big key to success for those guys. You know, you just you, the word you used right there, control. Uh, you got to learn to control the controllables. And I can't get caught up in those that I can't control. And I, I think that's helped me in other aspects of my life. Um, if it's out of my hands, what can I do about it? Mm-hmm. Uh, why am I losing sleep over something I can't have an impact on? Um, I can't worry about I tell people all the time, like, um, 
you know, who do you want to work with? Who do you want to do this with? Who, who do you want to do that with? I don't care. And it, it may sound selfish, but I'm really good about worrying about me. Um, and, and I don't mean that in a bad way. And I think people that, that know me will tell you, like, I, I care about people and I do a lot of things for other people. Um, but take, take our baseball program, uh, for example. I'm not worried about what other programs are doing. I'm not getting caught up. Uh, worrying about what other programs are doing or what other parents are looking at and seeing. I'm going to do things my way, you know, and Derek Jeter is famous for that. You know, he played his career his way. Um, I'm going to do it my way, how I think is right, based on my lifetime experiences. And if I'm not right for you, that's fine. Go somewhere else. Um, I'm good with that. But yep. I'm going to I'm going to control the controllables and I'm going to spend time worrying about things that I can have an impact on and I'm not going to lose one ounce of sleep uh, over something that I can't personally impact or, or direct the outcome. Yeah. I, I try to embrace the same philosophy um, just in my life at this point. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I think back to when I first started scouting, I was, I was scouting for the Indians and uh, scouted the whole fall and it got time to, to file my publish my first scouting report. You know, there's this guy I liked a little bit. He was okay. And I'm like, man, it's, I, was, I agonized. I, my, my finger was hovering over that submit button for like an hour because I knew once I once I published it, my name's on that guy forever, right? Right or wrong. And I just, um, you know, I was a rookie scout. I didn't know what I was doing. And 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 you try to figure out, you try to, you're like, all right, you're crowdsourcing this. Like, does the industry like this guy? Like, what other people think? I'm like, wait a second. Like, if I'm wrong, I'm going to get fired. So... I may as well just go with what I think. I don't want to get fired for somebody else being wrong. Right. So right, it's like right. fired in, see what happens. Maybe I'll be wrong. And I got that. I didn't turn into some super scout. I didn't spend a whole life in scouting, but, but I felt like I had an eye for talent. And I had that piece of uh, the peace of mind of like, okay, you know what? Like I'm going to, I'm going to do all the work up front. I'm going to, I'm going to do everything I can to get this right. And then similar to like, when you let that pitch go, once you hit submit, Hey, if I see him next year and I change my mind, I'll resubmit a different report. I'll admit I was wrong, but like, what am I going to do? Just be scared all the time and, and, and not put it out there. You're going to miss some players. Yep. Yeah. So the, the control, the controllable things, I think a lot of the good ones do that. Uh, it's hard to do, you know, especially for kids, right? That's why I'm glad you're, you're working with these kids to help them kind of get that mental side of it because uh, you know, these kids are under more pressure than you or I were growing up just because of the world they're living in. So. Yeah, that's right. Everything's out there. Yeah, you know, it's ten-year-old baseball, eleven-year-old baseball. Everything's game cast on uh, Vimeo and Game Changer, yeah. and all that, which is, which is great because grandparents and parents that are traveling yeah. and working and whatnot, they they don't miss as much as, as our our parents did and grandparents did. But um, that also means it's out there. It's out there for everybody to see, including yeah. their buddy. You know, and they they screw up or they strike out in a big spot, like they're likely to sit in class and hear a friend like, Oh, I saw you strike out. And you know, they got to deal with, with that right. uh, and the mentality of a, of a kid. I mean, it was hard for me as a 20 something year old when I struggled. The only time I saw myself on sports center was when I blew a save. Yeah. Right. And that, that's hard. Uh, I can't imagine that with all your peers and people you care about what they think and how they feel. Uh, at 11, 12, 13, 14 years old, having to deal with that. It's they're growing up quicker than we had to. Yeah, there's no doubt. I, I, uh, 
my, my kids are younger than yours, so I'd go to my son's t-ball game, and I'd have to walk by a, a, a field of kids. They're a couple years older than him. They weren't like high school kids. You know, and they got the 20-foot banner of, oh, yeah. of, the, of the team with, like, high-resolution pictures of these kids, and they're all mean-mugging, and they got the yeah. eye black. And, and I'm like, man, those kids are like eight. What are we doing? You know, and it's like, look, it's fun. I get it. We all wanted to play like we were big leaguers when we were little, and now these kids get to do it in a way that's way fancier than I could. Um, so I understand it and it's cool, but you can go way too far and you can start doing these kids a disservice if, if you don't let them just be kids and have fun with it. That's right. That's right. That's, we've got two rules, two rules in our whole organization, attitude and effort. You give me a good attitude. You're not always going to win. You're not always going to be successful. You strike out in a big situation or any situation, you get five seconds feel bad for five seconds, then you got to move on. Get to the dugout, you take it into the dugout, you're bringing your teammates down, you're, you're becoming a bad teammate, that five seconds is over, that's when we got a problem. Yep. And then effort. Physical mistakes are going to happen, the ball is going to roll up your arm, it's going to roll between your legs. Um, physical mistakes I can live with. Mental mistakes we're going to learn from. Um, where you're going to hear me get upset or any of our coaches get upset is if that ball rolls between your legs and you're feeling bad for yourself and you're the last one to go pick it up. That's when we got the issue. So no, no. attitude and effort, give me a good attitude. Give me everything you got. You're going to have no problems. That's pretty good life, uh, life advice too. <laughs> uh, Matty, I appreciate the time, man. It's been a lot of fun catching up. Um, this has yeah. been some good, some good stuff. Yeah. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Let's do it again. This was yeah. great. Yeah, absolutely. All right, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of the No One Is Watching podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to hit subscribe to be notified of future episodes. If you'd like to support the show, please take a second, leave a rating and review, or share it with your friends. If you're interested in similar content, you can check out my website at nooneiswatching.com, where you can subscribe to the newsletter, read my blog, or follow me on your social media platform of choice. Look, your time is valuable, so thank you for lending me some of it. We'll see you next time.